podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with the chess world's best players, promoters, and educators about their lives, careers, current projects, and best practices. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. Hello, everyone. I am here with Danny Wrench, the vice president of chess.com and an international master in his own right. Danny, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Ben. So you guys are so busy with so many amazing projects that there's a lot of things I want to talk about, but I thought that I would start by throwing it to you and ask, what is what is taking up the most of your time these days? Uh, well, taking up the most of the most of our time has been the Pro Chess League, so that just came to an end, which is pretty pretty exciting uh, to to have a little bit of a breather, but no rest for the weary. We're moving right into the Speed Chess Championship, uh, which is going to start with all these qualifying events as of uh, Tuesday, April 4th. So that's that's going to have pretty much an all-hands-on-deck for the professional events kind of group of us that, that cover and organize and do all this stuff. So that's that's going to be pretty exciting, and you can't really ask for more than uh, the names that we have committed to this thing. So it's, it's, uh, it's going to be the, really the big, the big thing going on at chess.com for the rest of the year. Okay. Yeah. And I saw the, I saw the name. I mean, it was amazing. Magnus Carlson, Wesley So, Caruana, MVL, et cetera. Uh, so when, when this starts tomorrow, will the big names be involved right away or is there a qualifying phase? You know, it's interesting. Uh, it's funny because the last, uh, the last title Tuesday we had in March, I was in a, I was in a call recording chess center and, uh, I think it was with Anna, um, Anna Rudolph or Alexandra Botez and literally in the middle of the call, Wesley so pings me on Skype and he's like, Hey, like, you know, can I play today? I'm like, yeah, of course. And so I'm, you know, holding his hand to make sure he gets in the event and thinking that's a big deal. Well, you know, Nakamura and, and MBL pretty much play every month. Um, but Wesley, Wesley jumps in and then like within five seconds after that, Fabiano pings me and then Magnus is like, Hey, I want to play just randomly. So I don't know what, what came to them. Uh, but if you if you check, so last title Tuesday, we had all these guys just show up, which is just um, awesome. And of course, then we had like some sort of server issue, which is I mean, it's like literally the bane of my existence. But um, so I don't know that here's the rules the, any of them can play and show up. I mean, there's fifteen hundred dollars in prizes per event just for, you know, kicks and giggles. Uh, but <clears throat> there if they do win the event, they won't they won't be qualifying to play themselves, clearly. So it'll just go to the next person. But there is no limitations on any of these top guys playing in the event, even if they're already in the uh, the main speech chess championship. Okay, it's funny to me that they the way that they register is by pinging you. But I guess uh... oh, it's so I know it's and it's so I I don't even mean to to say it like that, like where it sounds like a random name drop. But it was it was so irritating actually because I was telling and I was like I was like like these guys can't figure out how to get into the live server and play themselves. It's you know they they all have to ask for permission. It's so funny, but uh, anyway, we're uh, you pretty much can't tell Magnus to go away, right? <laughs> like, says he wants to play in a tournament, um, and that you're recording Chess Center, so uh, it, it's a lot of fun. And I think that the more we the more we do all these things and, and keep the money being pushed back into the the professional community online, uh, the more it becomes sort of a a habit for them to play. I mean, think about it; these guys are already just hanging out in their pajamas, studying chess all day anyway, right? I mean. What the bleep else do they have to do? They might as well go play a tournament and, and win a few hundred bucks. So 
Yeah, exactly. Right. And, you know, maybe learn a few new opening ideas along the way. Right. Yeah, who knows what they actually – I mean, Nakamura usually, you know, plays like a – I don't know. What am I allowed to say on this show? Is it normal curse. that in a podcast I feel like I'm allowed to have, like, no filter? I mean, am I allowed to curse on this show? Yes, you are. Yes, you I are. I am? Yeah, go oh, for it. Oh, my <laughs> leaping. That is – it's like the chains have been lifted. Wow. <laughs> this is not a chess kid podcast. Just uh, just for the grown-ups, although I'm sure some teenagers listen, but they've heard it, be- <laughs> they've heard it before. <laughs> right. No, I uh, – sometimes I've been told I have a bit of a potty mouth off the air. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, you do a good job keeping it under wraps for the most part. Um, yeah. So you guys are getting psyched up for that. But before we, we delve into that deeper, let's let's reflect a little bit on the Pro Chess League. So you guys ended it last week. I know that our mutual friend Greg Shahadi was really happy with the ratings. What was your perspective from your perch? I mean, honestly, we are just – it was so amazing to see the response, the just the, the viewership that we had um, – the level of support uh, clearly when we when we launched this thing we we thought that you know Eric and I have the, the history I'll try not to go into all that unless you want to but the history of the league play on chess.com is a bit you know it's a bit messy just um, you know we had the US chess league on the site a few years ago and honestly we weren't really prepared on a tech level we've been doing this massive sort of you know restructuring of our of our tech stacks and rebuilding the site um, and, and we just weren't ready to do it. And it led to kind of a crappy experience, to be honest, for everybody involved. And But it never changed our perspective, me and Eric, from the, from the belief that, one, league play is the future of chess online. There's a huge stickiness factor, which in, in our business we use this term sticky because it's something that keeps people coming back. Right? The reason why Facebook owns all of our damn souls is because you can't go any freaking where else to figure out what's going on with people. Right. You know, and, and because it's sticky, like you try to get it off your fingers and it's like your kids put licorice on you. You know, and like and and so we think that league play keeps people coming back because it's interesting and it establishes um more of a connection, I think, from the casual fan, which is really our biggest market, and the professional player to actually have a reason to root for them. Honestly, nobody gives a shit if Magnus goes and wins Tata Steel again for the whatever time. Right. But when they start seeing this like team experience, I think it makes people really, really excited and, and intrigued. And um, so Eric and I were like never not sold that we were going to do it again. And we started gearing up for this sort of league idea. Uh, kind of like around this time last year and and Greg sort of reached out he was in a transition period uh the, the league was apparently no longer going to be on ICC I don't really know all the details of it but you know we had a few calls later we ended up deciding that um that it was time to kind of make it make the marriage a little bit you know start the marriage off on a little bit of a better foot you know maybe it's good that you get together you know, out of like mutual attraction. And then you realize there's more to life than just sexual attraction. You push the marriage away. Then you come back and now you're in a healthier place to actually have a long lasting relationship. Right. Right. So let's say that let's say that let's make a funny reference and say that's what happened with the U.S. Chess League. So we were able to kind of acquire them slash, you know, uh, hire Greg at the same time and incorporate whoever wanted to be a part of the U.S. Chess League to join. We knew there would be um, some people not thrilled with the changes we wanted to make, but Frankly, um, 
we have a lot of data and a lot of analytics that say as much as chess buffs like us love getting on there and see the sexiness of the St. Louis broadcast. I mean, I know the numbers and there's something called a bounce rate. And even the grandmasters, no matter what they tell you, the average stay time on those pages is like two, three minutes per person. And so those who let it sit in the background while they eat lunch all day, I mean, that's one thing. But for the most part, people just don't have the ability to watch a six hour broadcast, no matter what they tell you. And so as sexy as it looks, it's not really pushing the needle. I mean, they have the funds to do it, so that's great. But it's not something that's operating in that way in in, in what we're looking for. So we were sold that it needed to be rapid. It needed to be, you know, as in your face as possible. So we knew we needed to make these massive format changes. And here you go. Like we're, But I think people just, people loved it. I mean, even people that didn't like it at first. Like, I think overall, when you have Magnus Carlsen and... You know, Wesley So playing in the final. Can I say, can I even say that it wasn't a success? I mean, we got so lucky. And the, and Magnus, he told, I mean, after this title Tuesday, I mean, he said, like, he loves the league. And he told me it, it was, like, so cool to see him care about a team environment, you know? Yeah. Um, Go on. So the, I can get into all the numbers and data, but yeah, it was a huge success from that perspective. I think there's a number of things we need to do better. Obviously, there were some there were some issues. There were some I think there were some scheduling issues. There were some controversies that happened for those who followed it closely, and we're you know we're not shying away from that. We're just handling everything in the most professional and uh, efficient way that we know how to do it. Um, but um, but I think other than working out some of those kinks. I'm 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 super excited about the future of this. Yeah, as am I. And speaking of the kinks, uh, we might as well talk about at least the one elephant in discussing any online chess tournament. So you guys had a few issues with people uh, cheating and using computers. Um, what what are you going to do going forward to uh, try to um, curtail that as best you can? Well, you know, it, it's a tough uh, it's a tough question from the perspective that um, we didn't. We did not think that just because we put our name on it and, and put up 50 grand that everyone's going to say all of a sudden decide to play cleanly. I mean, like obviously the opposite effect would be would be, would happen. Right. So we, we were aware that this would happen. Um, and I think there was, a, you know, without getting into all the specifics, we ended up closing. What was it? Probably six or seven titled accounts total throughout the league for uh, for fair play violations and. You know, we, we stand by those. Then there were some other sort of gray, gray areas where, um, you know, if you believe everything you read on social media, which, of course, most people should remember that usually, usually social media doesn't have all the facts. <laughs> but right. I'm not going to get into all that, but just say that it was what are we so what 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 did we do and what are we going to do? I mean, we relied on our on our um, investment and, and the resources we have into some pretty advanced algorithms that that um, bring together assessments of things that we are able to, to stand by it. And, and one way I explain it to a lot of serious chess players is it's we don't rely on subjective information that chess players normally think of. Like uh, a subjective analysis of someone's skills to me would be like, oh, X player of X rating is just not capable of seeing X combination in X amount of time. It's just not possible. Well, you don't, no one really knows that. Uh, and X, X player of this level, or, or it's the result that makes people think it was, it was cheating because the X player can't upset this many people in a row. Well, that's not true either. So, you know, we've been able to build a system that is really rating and result blind and is able to kind of match up and assess things in a way that is really 
really, um, really advanced. And I encourage everybody to check out, you know, the testimonials we've had, including with other top players in the world who just didn't want to put their name on it. You know, it would make sense if you think about it from our perspective, if we're investing hundreds of thousands of dollars um, giving back to the professional community in the Speed Chess Championship of the Pro Chess League, we better be confident that if we can't prevent cheating, I mean, we're not minority report here. I can't tell you the murder before it happens. We can at least act in a way that is probably much more efficient than people think you can act. Um... So we, we have to continue to rely on the investment we've made. And then as far as what we're going to do with the league moving forward, I think we're going to we're going to improve some things about the process, the communications um, that, that are made and and to make sure that we don't we don't get some issues that we ran into um, just out of lack of experience. I mean, it's the first year we're doing the best we can. And, and we thought that we were uh, providing providing the, the most information we could. Sometimes that just doesn't always make people happy. Um but we're going. We're probably going to do a little more monitoring, a little more uh, as technology gets better. I mean, I wish everybody just had Google Fiber. And and if bandwidth and and connectivity issues are not on the table, there's no reason why we can't have more experiences like we have in the Speed Chess Championship. I mean, honestly, what made what made last year's event between Carlson and Nakamura so much fun? It wasn't me and Bobby Hess. I mean, as much as I I love Robert, uh, it was it was being able to see Nakamura and Carlson on camera. Right? There was this yeah, like there was something about that. viral where like where Carlson was like laughing at Hikaru after a blunder. Right? I mean, yeah. it was like when did we get to see these? guys doing that honestly like obviously i'm i'm uh, i'm a little biased because this is my this is you know this is where i work this is my arena but to me that experience of seeing the players on camera and their emotions and their and their their focus there is something that we don't even get in over the board tournaments whether we're on site or we're using Aegon's ridiculous 360 point of view did i just say that yeah <laughs> uh, i mean i i just i think it's so so cool to see that and i think that if it wasn't for internet, Ben, like we would probably have everybody on webcam and privately have screen share going. Um, in the end, even that is, you know, there are ways. There are ways to cheat. There are very advanced ways to get to get information if someone is able to relay to. Which is why, in the end, you have to rely on data that is about much more than just checking whether someone matches up with an engine. It's about you know a lot of investment we've made into resources that that detect patterns. And and um, and they've been done through millions and millions of games. One of the things that really was our inhibitor for years on chess.com. I can share this information now because we've come so far. But there was an actual conversation that took place between me and Eric and Jay, uh, the other I mean, the two co-founders where we literally were debating whether we were even going to give a shit about cheating because it was getting so overwhelming. And we were being held to ICC standards while getting Google and Yahoo chess numbers. There were a million, almost a million games being played a day, even a few years ago. And we were supposed to detect cheating at a level that was comparable to OTB events. And remember, the membership is free. So it's not like where if someone pays you and gives you their money, they just we found that their, chance, their likelihood of, of cheating goes just way down, right? Um, and so it was very, very difficult. But because of that, because of the investment we had to make when we decided there's just no way we can turn our back, we have to invest and find ways to stay ahead of this. Um, I think now that has become our biggest strength, that our data is is really rock solid and it's based on millions and millions of games. Uh, and and, and um, it's been able to tell us a lot. So I think that that helps us be confident you know, we're definitely not perfect. Um, I would claim that we're doing more than people would ever think is possible. But we're, you know, we we can't claim to be perfect. Only that we're still willing to help the game grow online despite the risks. 
Yeah, well, it sounds like it has your full attention. Absolutely. In fact, it has more than my full attention. I freaking dream about this, and it drives me crazy. It has my full anxiety. Yeah. I hate it. It is shocking how many, I mean, you know, seven people in the grand scheme, that's not that many, but it's just so shameless. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's surprising. Yeah, one of the players, I won't, I won't say who, one of the players was cheating while being proctored, while being on webcam. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, just to tell you why we rely on data, and it's why a lot of people conversations I have been with so many of my friends and people who are, some of them have signed our NDA and taken our course that you see Nakamura and MVL. These guys gave us their testimonial, right? Um, some of them have signed it and seen it and, and some of, most of them haven't, but they're always, they always ask the same thing. How, how, yeah. how, how did he cheat? How did he cheat? But what I have to come back to is remember, like if you're guessing on the method to the madness. It, this is why criminals are always ahead of the police. You, you had. This is why, unfortunately, they have to investigate the murder afterwards, because you, like, the how is is harder and harder to understand. I mean, what if I told you there are, you know, this is giving uh, this is giving a plug. Those, but those who already know this cheating exists, they'll find it. There are browser plugins that give instant engine eval without registering any sort of mouse or, or suspicious activity. So someone is not having to check another program or do this or that. Um, again, so that's why our, our, our methods are based on things that can't hide. They can hide for a certain amount of time, but they can't hide in the long run, even if no matter what someone's doing. And it's because it's because the method is impossible to detect and because the method is changing. I mean, people want metal detectors and put their cell phone. Well, there's plastic earpieces that kids have been using to cheat on SATs for years. And now they're bringing it into, you know, the, 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 the chest tournaments. And I don't know that anybody's doing that. That wasn't an accusation. I don't, but I, I'm just saying that the method is, is harder and harder to detect or to comprehend. And so you have to be able to, to measure things that you can stand behind legally, you know, in a court and say, it's like this, uh, the world record for like uh, I do I do CrossFit right the world record for some sort of like overhead like you know snatch press is like thirteen hundred pounds or something and you walk in and some guy says I just did sixteen hundred pounds and the bar's on the ground and there's sixteen hundred pounds on it you're like no you didn't that's not possible they're like yeah I did I'm I'm like well you know you didn't they're like well you can't prove that I didn't and you're like you're right but like beyond probably like and you say can you do it again right. and they say no. So you can't prove that they're wrong, but you can, beyond reasonable doubt, have information that says this is not probable. It's not possible based on X, Y, and Z. And that is based on the measurement of performance in a way that can't hide. Uh, whereas the method is just it's, – it's, the method is tricky. It's hard. It's hard to detect what yeah. people are going to do next. Okay. Well, uh, just one quick follow-up question. I was wondering um, uh, if you're at liberty to say. You said someone was on – was being monitored on camera and still – uh, you guys uh, caught them cheating. Are you able to say what which method they were using without naming yeah, the person? Yeah, there was an in-browser plugin. Okay, uh, that that allowed them to not have a second secondary computer to check or other things that might easily register suspicious eyeball behavior. I mean, if Magnus is checking something or has something weird going on on camera, we could see it, right? Right. Um, but this person was not registering any suspicious behavior, yet the data was screaming to us, and we were like, WTF, right? <laughs> we're like, what is – and that actually helped us improve our methods again because it, it led us down this road of realizing there were more um, – so we do things that um, we do things that are really cool and, and can detect people without invading privacy, what's going on, what kind of plugins they have in Chrome and that kind of stuff. But uh, but there, there are always ways to get around things, and right. before you know it, they'll detect a way to, to, to hide – from the plug-in detectors, you know? Um, 
So yeah. It's, okay. It's a, it's a it's fun talking about it now just right. because like it's kind of over. But honestly, this is like this is the most painful part of my job, and uh, and Greg kind of had a fur a front row seat to what goes on with this stuff, and um, yeah, I mean, uh, this was, has been your was, life. It led, it led to some stressful communications between all of us involved when. You know, but I can say happily, this will be the final thing I'll say on Fair Play. I can say 100% certainty that the 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 Sweet 16, the final 24 teams, everybody was being monitored, um, and I am 100% confident that those who won all financial purse prizes available in the in the 2017 Pro Chess League did so fairly. Okay, I so mean, I, I will I will say that. Yeah, I mean, and this is just one chess fan speaking, but I, I hope that most people watching, I mean, you guys clearly are working hard to to prevent this from happening in the future. Um, I mean, you can't, you know, you can't control the behavior of every player. So um, if you're investing resources and time in this uh, and trying to stay in front of the problem, I mean, hopefully people understand that it's for the better of chess and, uh, you know, uh all you can do is make a really good faith effort, which it sounds like you are. So um, you said it better than me. Maybe you should be our, <laughs> our, our uh, maybe you should be our public relations speaker on this stuff. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds like you're. Uh, it's keeping you a little too busy for my taste. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so all right, let's move on. So first of all, when is the next season? So we're gonna, you know we'll do the next season again. I think we're going to run with this January to April. You know, sort of the March Madness. You know, I, I think I think we've we like we like this time of year. Um, so to start the new year, every year will be the Pro Chess League uh, main season. Now there there are some. I don't want to speak too much about what we're discussing behind the scenes. Uh, Greg, Eric, and I kind of have an annual. Let's get together and review the good, bad, and the ugly meeting tomorrow, and we have plans for. Um, a a new a slightly uh, new format in terms of how the teams are initially placed and and paired. Um, I don't want to speak too much about that, but there may be qualifier events for other teams. So we we have a lot of people asking to get in, but we maybe want to tighten the ship anyway, just to make it from better from a content and experience, right? Because forty eight teams is great, but maybe it's not really the best for the fans when it's so overwhelming and you can't give every team the love they deserve. So how do we do that? So we may we may find ways to kind of tighten the ship, add some qualifier events. Who knows? Maybe November and December every year will be these like, you know, think of it as like the Big Ten, right? The ACC championship, the Pac-12 event or something. Teams teams sort of vying to get the last spots in every division. And then the main the main season kicks off in January. We've got big dreams about it. Chess is an esport, man. We've arrived, and and we've also got some negotiations going on with some other um, things. And Greg isn't involved in this, but Eric and I are dealing, hopefully, with some people really interested and in, and in believing in the power of chess online. And the one thing I can say in our in our favor, I wrote an article for American Chess Magazine. Um, it's uh, Josip Asik's uh, new new venture, the guy who does uh, Chess Informant. Not sure if you've seen it, ACM. I, it's come across my radar. I haven't had a chance to to read it yet. Yeah, and um, he just started it. I, I don't, you know, I think it's kind of a, a mixture between chess life and new and chess, um, right there in the middle. Okay. Um, and anyway, but he asked me to write a column for him. You know, we uh, every every it's a it's an every like quarterly or a, the same period as new and chess. I think every couple months magazine, and so my my column coming out in American Chess Magazine this month is about why chess is the next esport and and I and I one big thing that we have going for us is the one thing that held us back for years Ben which is no matter what you say 
just can't be as exciting as World of Warcraft or League of Legends or Hearthstone or any of the other crap that people play. I mean, those games are just, you know, they're really addicting. And but but here's the one thing chess has going for it is all of those experiences are fantasies or simulations of reality at best. You know, simulations of reality if you're playing, you know, Gears of War or Call of Duty, walking around killing people. Hopefully that's not something you're actually doing. So this is like none of those are real life. Chess is the same game and all of its cognitively beneficial critical thinking skills developing, whether any of that crap is true or not. Guess what? It's true from the perspective that chess is certainly a game that can be better for kids than any of those other games, right? Any of those other video games. And and um, I, I, I joke crap. I think it is all true. I was just saying that all that stuff is true. And so the, it's the same experience online as it is over the board. And that and that has a different um, I think it brings in a, a much wider demographic of potential people that like it. So maybe it'll never be World of Warcraft, but I don't know that it has to be because those games are already the best. And, and I think that we really are, are in, in a way that chess is being presented in its most entertaining fashion more better than it ever has in the history of the game. Um, people are, are buying in and watching it on Twitch and YouTube and these other, you know, big gaming communities. Um, and I think, I think it's arrived. I think we're going to have more and more interest in watching online big money chess events in the future. Okay. Now I know that this is probably sensitive because you're still in the discussion stage, but are you able to say with these, uh, inquiries that you and Eric have gotten, are they like venture capital type investment or advertising type investment? Uh, both. Okay. But um, the ones we're really looking for are, you know, the ones that might give us the motivation to potentially. Um, well, I, I guess I'll say that they're 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 esports companies. Companies already in the in the genre in in the uh, in oh, the wow. market. Right. That's awesome. And nice. so the the goal would be to to land some sort of long term mutually beneficial agreement to help grow chess as an esport. When you know, one of the guys I was talking with said it best when he said, you know. Every, you know, we don't need another League of Legends because Rocket League and League of Legends, they're already king. Like, why create one that competes with that? Let's invest in something that is completely different, right? Yeah. So that's one way to look at it. So we'll, uh, hopefully we'll have some good news with that in the in the, in the the coming year. So Yeah, and uh, speaking of investing, obviously I can't let you on here without, uh, without talking about what's been blowing up your Twitter feed the past week. You guys uh, made an initial tryout for Shark Tank. Yeah, that was the that it was the craziest thing because this is, I have to make a huge confession. I haven't watched much Shark Tank. I'm not a big Shark Tank guy, but Eric is. Eric, like I think he's probably seen every episode twice, right? Like he loves Shark Tank. I think when they give you an MBA, they give you all the tapes, and you just have to watch it. So Eric. right, no, it's like so. Eric, you know, uh, Eric. Eric and Jay and a lot of and apparently a lot of people. I mean, it's a it's going in its ninth season, so I kind of felt like an ass to be like, oh, like I was like asking Eric, like, how does it work? And at one point, he turns to me, he's like, wait, have you ever watched the show? <laughs> and I was <laughs> right. like, and I was like, I think I saw a kid pitch like a play doh that didn't have like some sort of residue that people are allergic to years ago, but it was for it was before Cuban was on the show. Okay. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, we we did a we did a uh, we we went and we waited along with a, you know a thousand other people um, from eight a.m. We didn't get seen till six thirty p.m. and there were still like three hundred people to go. I feel so bad for these producers. Um, That's funny. I feel bad for the waiters, but, but uh, yeah, no. I, well, the producers saw so many people and the waiters. It, it was abusive for everybody, and, right. and honestly. I, I feel I guess I feel less bad for the waiters because having waited in line, I feel like there were so many people there for their, you know, one chance to get on TV. And so, and I just like it just seemed like some of them were 
almost like this was a lifestyle for them. Like they go to shows and try to get on TV. Like right. one of the guys said that this is his third year trying to do it. Right. And and so I was like, okay, well, so we were, you know, we're, we, we were a little bit out of place in that we, we've been doing this for a long time. And I think our company is, is, uh, but, but to be clear, we're not advertising uh, VC. We're not looking for investments into chess.com at all. I mean, chess.com is, completely rolling forward. I mean, we have no debt. It, it's a profitable company. It's, you know, we don't really want to disrupt the core. I mean, the only thing that might happen at chess.com is if one of our majority shareholders, which is not me, unfortunately, one of the guys that owns a few more shares wanted to sell privately, but th- it's not, it's not an open door to invest. What we are wanting to do is launch chess kids. So if you saw that video, we're right. trying to maybe open up uh, the opportunity to, to help grow chess kid. Um, and then after the whole thing, we kind of started thinking maybe we should be pitching the pro chess league. So maybe we'll do that. I mean, it was, it was fun in the end. We did our pitch and we were, we were given really good news. Uh, we're not supposed to talk too much about that, but we were given good news that we're moving on to the second round. But I want to tell everybody that doesn't mean we're going to be on TV. In fact, they made it very clear. Even as the producer said, this is great. We're moving on. Look for some calls. You know, the next stage is apparently a lot more background checks. They actually assess that everything we're saying is true. Um, and they, you know, they look for more about us and they want to make sure you're, 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 you're TV, you're TV worthy and that you're actually not lying about your company. But assuming all that goes true, then you move on to the round. Okay. Like now there's a real chance you're getting on TV, but they made really clear to say, look, shows people have been cut on the studio floor before walking through the doors. So until you're actually on Shark Tank, you're not on Shark Tank. Right. That, yeah, one thing I want to say is I, I found it, because you guys teased it a little bit before the audition online, and I uh, I assumed that you had, like, a hearing. You know, I didn't expect Mark Cuban to be in the room, but I didn't expect you guys to be waiting in line for eight hours, because uh, those of us who are chess fans know uh, Chess Kid is a bit of a juggernaut. I mean, you know, I'm a chess teacher. I... I I give it to my kids and my kids love it. You know, Fun Master Mike is a global celebrity now. So right. <laughs> so I was surprised that uh that you guys sort of had no special treatment and that like and given that you're a profitable company on your own that you guys like put in the sweat equity and just stood there and waited with people who probably basically have like a little plan drawn up on the back of a napkin. Yeah, no, I, I, I made fun. I did a live Facebook thing because apparently that's what we all have to start doing now. We have one another, we have one more thing that we all have to freaking do. <laughs> so I was doing this live Facebook thing and teasing that I was making Eric wait in line while I went and got coffee, right? <laughs> um, which was true. And, uh, and, but it really, I was teasing him because it was his fault. I think you're right. I think probably if we had just done a video and sent it in, we probably would have moved on to the next round, just given that assessment. But, um, we didn't we didn't know what to expect. That's the honest truth. We went there thinking it it was in Palm Springs at this at this uh at, at uh, on the reser- uh, one of the casinos there and we didn't know how busy it would be. We were like, let's just show up. It was literally spur of the moment. It was Wednesday and Eric was like, let's go do this. So I drove out to Palm Springs with the giant Peshka, which is our pawn in the back of my car. That's funny. Met Eric at a Holiday Inn Express. Um, and, uh, had an incredibly uncomfortable sleep, got up and we went and did this. So you're right though. Probably in hindsight, it was, it was all a big waste of time. Okay. Well, uh, speaking of Eric, the CEO and founder of, of chess.com, I do feel like we should, um, dial it back a little bit. I think that a lot of listeners will know your backstory and know the backstory of the company, but, uh, a few probably don't. So do you mind talking a little bit about how you latched on to chess.com and, uh, started to, to grow this company? 
Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll tell you the real version, which is huh. just tells reminds reminds the kids to plug their ears. But I think when we first started, Eric and I didn't like each other. In fact, there's a direct quote where he remembers turning to Jay and say, "Why is Danny such an asshole?" <laughs> and and, uh, and like it was partly because I think I had a bit of an appreciation for what the potential was more than maybe some of my peers were, where all they were looking for was international grandmasters with decent personalities to do content. They just wanted me to kind of be settled in that role. And I was like, well, no, wait a second. I want to be, I want to, I want to, I want a bigger piece of the pie. Right. So I was an asshole to be frank. Um, but it was, it was funny. So we met at the 2007 Berkeley international held by Arun Sharma. And I think David Pruis was still doing the, but see, neither David nor I worked for chess.com. Then they came um, and had dinner with all of us players. Jesse was there. Jesse Cry was there. David was there. I was there. Ben, ben I was there. Um, yeah. So there were a bunch of us there. And you're like but 21, they're, they're 22, right? Sorry, say that again? You're like 21 or 22 years old at this point? Yeah, yeah. And, and so they're interviewing all, all these guys, not really officially, but they're kind of talking to all of us and like, hey, we own chess.com. And, and it's a domain name. And they had no idea what they were getting to with me because the quick backstory on me was – at 19, you know, when I was thinking I was going to be this super professional player, I went through some health issues and I, and I wasn't able to travel and compete in the way that I wanted to. But what I was doing during that time, in addition to kind of teaching in the schools and making money with private lessons, was I took the entire Google AdWords and analytics courses, which is like this three-hour course of videos you can take online. And back then, it was like a big deal because it was like learning what made the internet tick. It was like people didn't know what SEO was, right? right. And, and there was no way to under, you know, what was this magical thing that drove traffic to your site? And and remember, there were actually times in our life where people said the phrases, what's YouTube? Right. And what's Facebook, right? I mean, so this was this was a time, and, and so I had done all this stuff, and I actually went and bought the premium domain name, chesscoaching.com, because during this whole thing, I, I learned, oh, I need chess.com if I'm going to be like the internet chess king. And chess.com had had like just launched. So it was this weird like timing where they were ahead of me. So I bought chesscoaching.com for like 300 bucks, which was a steal. I later sold it to chess.com like once I became kind of, you know, lucky enough to be a part of the whole team for, for much more than that. Because it was, you know, back then people also didn't understand the domains were like real estate, right? Right. So, so that was my background. So now they're talking to me at this event and I'm like, no, no, like I own chesscoaching.com and I want to be a big part of this. And they're like, okay, calm down, buddy. And I'm like, no. And so we went <laughs> to these like long email negotiations where Eric and Jay, in the end, we we essentially had to agree to disagree. They didn't, um, they didn't want to, you know, bring me into the level I wanted. But I also kind of wanted, you know, to do some more paid work online. I started doing, you know, and, and unfortunately, I think my my stubbornness, you know, kind of backfired and and uh, and probably prevented me from getting as as much equity as I was eventually later able to get. But that's okay. And uh, huh. long story short, a year later, I, I was brought on full time. Um, basically, walked away from all the investment I was doing from my own website. Eric and Jay were were. They love chess. Eric is like an 1800 player. Jay's like an 1800 player. Um, 
but I think that they would be totally honest and would admit that they're sort of a victims to their own success. They, I don't think they thought chess was going to grow in the way it did because they also owned karate.com. They also owned exercise.com. So they were sort of premium domain like, you know, sharks, right? Right. And and Eric had, had gotten chess.com at a very serious discount that I don't even know if I'm allowed to disclose without him here. But it was a serious discount from, you know, a group of VCs in the Bay Area who – essentially didn't know what they had. They had chess, they had, they had this chess mentor software, which the really old school guys of chess online will remember chess mentor as being the first thing that chess.com had. And, but all they were trying to do was peddle this chess mentor software with the domain chess.com, right? It's like, uh, Yasser Sarawan once said to me, it's like owning, you know, janefonda.com and all you're trying to sell is her autobiography. <laughs> it's, it was ridiculous. And so, you know, Eric fell into this domain name at a serious discount, him and Jay, uh, started building it, still with an eye all the time that they were basically going to walk away right, um, flip it, and, yeah. and let chess.com go yeah. and, or or just kind of make some passive income. And they uh, eventually, the the all of those things happened with karate and exercise. Those kind of became the failures and chess blew up. And, um, and now we have, I'm looking at our Slack team here and we have, you know, over 60 salary employees and... Uh, um, you know, a lot of people working on chess all the time. So yeah, not to mention pretty, all pretty, the, pretty lucky, pretty fortunate. All the pros that you help support. Uh, so was uh, was Eric in eighteen hundred uh, when he bought the domain, or was that just as a product of uh, being invested in the site? No, he was already. Um, Eric learned to play chess at BYU from Jay. So Eric was. Eric had no idea what he was doing um, with chess, and Jay is really the first. He should really get all the credit because Jay's our CTO and, and other co-founder. And Jay, Jay taught Eric to play chess in their dorm, and Eric loved it. And Jay and Eric just dove into it. Jay, I think at the time was like a sixteen hundred player. See, Jay, Jay played with uh, with Vinay, and um, Jay has all these stories of being a Bay Area chess player. Okay, uh, as someone who looked up to Vinay Bot and all these other guys in his generation. Um, and so Jay taught Eric to play, and then Eric, but Eric really was the businessman who Eric started his own scholastic enrichment program around the, you know, in the in the in Utah in the BYU area. And um, I don't know if you, a lot of people either know this or not, but Eric was actually the original owner of WholesaleChess.com, and he was a big sponsor of the HB Global event, which all of us remember back in 2005 was Maurice Ashley's sort of first millionaire chess, right? Oh, Eric actually um, sponsored all the boards and the clocks for the HB Global event um, years ago Yeah, I, as, as the owner of Wholesale Chess. Does he still own Wholesale Chess? No, he sold. So once, so then what he did um, when he graduated BYU, he, he stopped teaching in the schools, did Wholesale Chess for a little bit longer. Then he sold it to a friend of his um, who now runs it. Matt is a great guy and we love Wholesale Chess. So get your stuff from them. I do, in fact. But, yeah. Oh, cool. So, um, so wholesale chess, it was sold and he, and he used that money to go to Stanford and get his MBA. Wow. And while there he was, he was sort of, you know, lucky to have the entrepreneurial understanding of getting these domains when they became available. But he, he said himself that he always envisioned that he would kind of, you know, be a part of like Peter Thiel was teaching a class at Stanford at the time. Wow. You know, so he, uh, he, I think he thought he was going to take some Facebook shares and go join the monster that everybody else was. But chess.com kept growing and it kept growing and, and then they um, decided at a certain point that it was really where they needed to be and they, they let go of exercise um, and, you know, which 
you know, they kind of sold out their shares and it kept running on its own. And I know those guys too. It all kind of happened in, in around the same timeline. Um, and, uh, they, they are full time in chess and, um, but yeah, so he, he, the answer to the question, he, he was already a chess player who had had a lot of experience that a lot of us have had, you know, teaching in the schools and doing all this stuff. And, and then just, you know, got into the web, the web domain. Nice. Well, that's like uh, an inspirational tale coming from both of you guys. I mean, Eric, uh, to sort of pull himself up by his bootstraps and parlay it into this big company. And you, I mean, you, you're you a high school dropout. Uh, I didn't know until oh, I watched right. the Shark Tech video. <laughs> um, I got my GED at, um, which is funny because I won, I was winning college scholarships as a chess player since, since like what, like sixth grade. I won, I won the elementary nationals. Um, I think it was in Peoria. Then I won the junior high nationals when it was in my hometown, not hometown, I'm, I, I live in northern Arizona, but in Tucson, Arizona. And then I won high school. And each one of those, like I got, I got, a, I won a scholarship to UMBC when they were still doing chess. I won a scholarship to UTD. But I was always going to be a high school dropout. I think, I think my destiny was clear because I started teaching at 15. And you know what happens when you start making that money? Wow. Like I just said, like I had no interest in going to higher, but I was the kid who was, I was the kid who was getting a D in science because I was up all night reading all the King's men. Like okay. I was always intellectually curious and I wanted to do what I wanted to do, but I never really enjoyed the formalized approach of education. I just like, I, and I, um, you know, so I got my GED and, and moved on. When you said all the kings, I thought it was going to be a chess book for sure. But no, I was—I mean, I could have said, "Well, Catch Twenty Two or some book, right?" I was right. reading and doing something that I wanted to do and not doing what I was supposed to do. Right, and I guess you were working pretty hard on your chess at that point too, right? Yeah, at that time I still was. I was still—I was still, probably not as much as I should have been. I mean, honestly, I think drinking and partying as a teenager probably prevented me from becoming a grandmaster back when I, you know, still had the ability, but. Uh, and maybe, you know, maybe someday they get back on the road. But I don't know. I think I think at this point, I think I, I'm afraid the GM ship might be sailing for me. Well, I don't know. My perspective, obviously, uh, I'm, I'm not like a huge authority, but it's it's more a question of the the com- is the commitment worth it? I mean, right. you're, you're not out of the ballpark in terms of chest strength. That's for sure. Right. No, and I've had a lot of I mean, over the last seven years doing chess.com, sometimes I get in a place where I'm like, all right, I'm going to honey, I want to get a trainer. And, and she's always supportive, my wife. And she's like, okay. And like, so I've worked with, you know, on a shook or, or like, I, I get somebody I'm working privately and they're always like, all right, after a few lessons, they're like, Danny, like, what are you doing here? Like, okay, you have the skill set, you have the strength to go become a GM, but let's be honest, you're an amateur. Right. You're not a professional. Like you're not, you can't play high level chess unless you play high level chess. If you're not playing chess, then don't pretend to be committed to improving chess really. Right. And so you- at a certain point, which is good because they could have just kept, you know, taking my hundred dollars an hour. Um, you know, it's always nice to have that honest feedback. Yeah, and you have uh, you have four kids. It has to be said right. in addition to your company, so um, you have a good excuse. Yeah, good excuse. <laughs> <laughs> so you maybe met- one day I'll follow in Ben's footsteps and become the second forty-year-old GM. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean he's you know it seems to have paid off for him. Uh, uh, obviously, uh, he would be doing fine as a chess personality either way. But th- you know, he, it would have been hard for him to be the grandmaster in residence without being a grandmaster. That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned the health scare. Uh, this was a cancer scare, correct? 
Well, it was it was a tumor. It wasn't cancer. It was a benign. I mean, I don't know how you did. It was a cancer. It was, a, you know, a cancer, but it was benign. It was a growth in my ears um, that um, attributed to I lost my hearing super quickly. I, I went from, you know, I actually the the problem started. The funny story is they started flying back from Lindsburg, Kansas for the whatever. What was that? The 2004, 2005 U.S. Junior Championship or maybe it was 06, I, but anyway, flying back and like my ears started having serious problems. And I had, I had always had tinnitus as a kid. So that's like a uh, ringing in your ear and it just never went away, but it was never anything to really bother me, but it was something I kind of dealt with. And at a certain point we, we started seeing all these doctors and experts and they're like, you have serious growth infections in your ears that you haven't been dealing with. And I, and it did, it took like all of a sudden losing my hearing for me to be like, Oh, like maybe I should have been talking about this tinnitus or this or that. And, um, so uh, five surgeries later, what I had was a first they removed the growth in each years and then they did a stapedectomy, which is a uh, you have the stapes bone, which is your 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 key bone that helps the sound kind of filter through your eardrum. A stapedectomy replaces, you know, the 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 bone functionality there with like a plastic metal artificial bone. Um, and then I had a Baja, which was one of the earliest cochlear implants. Now everyone hears about cochlear implants um, as a. You know, a way to like help kids who are born deaf hear, and they're you know the technology is advancing with these cochlear implants. But um, but the Baja is a bone anchor, a bone anchor hearing aid. So it was one of the initial versions. So I have a metal piece in my head. I actually have a card to prove it. If anyone wants to see where I, just in case I ever get buzzed at a metal detector at the airport. Right. Um. So the metal piece in my head, combined with the artificial sort of plastic metal bone stapedectomy, allow me to hear. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm assigned and that's partly, I always tell me that's partly why I'm so loud. Um, because I hear in an omni way, like, you know, most people you can zone in, in a bar and hear somebody talking and you're hearing them. And a lot of people don't know you have that superpower as a human being. But so what I hear is the sound reverberates off the metal piece in my skull. So I have a very difficult time hearing in really loud places. Cause I hear the sound in the whole room as much as I do the person talking to me. Wow. Huh. So that's just a little bit of a. Crazy, crazy background. I mean, I don't regret it because, you know, I, I started dating my wife and started, you know, learning, uh, you know, Google Analytics and whatever. But it was it was a wild ride for a couple of years there. Wow. Scary stuff. Um, so you mentioned Google Analytics and the online course you took. Um, do you what else have you done to educate yourself uh, in the the aspects of your job that are not strictly chess related? Well, yeah, in the meantime um, of, you know, since actually working for chess.com, which, of course, I was originally just just sort of the, you know, the director of content and helping with our professional relationships. And now I'm the vice president of who answers email, I would say <laughs> I, I get, you know, I do a lot of um, I, I really like that what I do now because we kind of get to play the bigger chess game on the Web. I mean, we're constantly educating ourselves on uh, the proper the proper processes of. Uh, impression, retention, conversion, you know, when does your brand impress a somebody, uh, impress on somebody through the web, whether it's social networks or via the web and how well are you retaining um, these customers after they've been impressed and then how well do you potentially convert upon those who have retained into convincing them to, you know, to want to to wanna get better at chess. Um, I think chess is awesome and it's phenomenal that, you know, we have so many people. I mean, the mass, mass majority of chess.com is people who want to get access to the tools. It's not it's not an ad revenue business in that way. Um, you know, and, and we have 
a lot of people who've said they want to they want to get access to premium tools and that's so that's really awesome and we've been really lucky but you know there's a there's a there's a lot of you know ppc pay-per-click and you know um you know what's your cpi you know your click per impression and how you convert and retain and there's a lot of really cool stuff we do and and on the on the web you know the web is really evolving to this to this the future of the web may include the death of the website. You heard it here first, everybody. I mean, I think that I think that if you're only offering content to people, <clears throat> um, you know, the buzzworthies or the Huffington Post, and I, I hate to say that to them or whatever, but I mean, I think a lot of people see the writing on the wall, but these days, if you get if you get a link in Facebook, just ask yourself how often if you're not retaining and experiencing that content right there in the app on your mobile phone or right there, how often do you actually click and go to a website? You know, the answer is less and less and less. Right. Most people want to experience the joy of their, you know, not looking at their children and being on their phone <laughs> right in right in the app. They don't want to actually click on anything. And that's the future of the Web is if you can't deliver something valuable to people in their native experience. Um, then you're missing the boat. And so our, you know, the only way you get around that is by offering an experience via your, via your portal, your platform, your site that can't be replicated, right? So like your tactics trainer, your premium tools, your videos that really belong to your company that people can't get anywhere else. So, you know, the future of the web, you really have to have value and everything you offer people. You can't just trick people with content and clicks anymore because it's everywhere. People are getting what they want for free where they want to get it, whether we like it or not. And and that's okay. And I think I think so the way to evolve is to offer something really great and give people real value. And that's what we're trying to do. And a lot of my job is analyzing the market and how to do that, how to how to how to impress, retain and convert and you know, analyzing our social networks, how good are we doing? How can we improve? And and then I do lots and lots of emails. And when I'm lucky, I get to do commentary for the Pro Chess League or Chess TV. But I think most people just think I get to act like an asshole for a living, which I do. <laughs> I, I do get to act like an asshole. Um, and I get to say that on Ben's podcast. That's right. so awesome. Yes. Um, but for the most part, you know, we're doing a lot more than just kind of, you know, random shows and whatever. And, and plus we've got so many great personalities who are, I think, better than me. I mean, better than me to begin with. I mean, like Simon Williams and, yeah. you know, we have Anna Rudolph and other people doing stuff for us. And I think that more and more what I do is kind of in the background, but I, I'm not letting the speed chess championship go right away. That's my baby. So I'm doing commentary for that. Nice. Um, so I mean, that's really, there's a lot of directions I could go with that. It's pretty interesting. I mean, first of all, it's like in a way it, it's not dissimilar from chess, the way you're sort of trying to uh, strategize and plan ahead and look at the overall landscape and navigate your way through it. Uh, right. But I'm curious, so where do you learn all the jargon? Like, uh, Well, it's just something I, I, I like to say I went to college at chess.com, mm-hmm. the school of chess.com. I mean, like I started 23. I mean, we've been um, 23, 24, and I, um, before that was a – I, I think I was I had a decent head on my shoulders, but I was a high school dropout with a GED and I was a professional chess player coach. Right. You know, so you learn you learn this stuff by just diving into the field of it, you know, and um, what's interesting is we're all pioneers in this. You know, Facebook, Facebook and, and Google. And, and I mean, 
the people in the government who try to even measure these guys, and uh, you know, I, I always joke that Facebook is evil because the moment you search for something on the web, the next time you log into Facebook, you're like, holy shit. Yeah, it's like, bizarre. How are they advertising me that? You know, I mean, I would argue that there's a lot of antitrust. We do not data mine. Um, just so you know, we are we respect full privacy of our members, and and we have ads that are delivered to what we believe to be a gaming community. And certainly people that want to advertise to our users look at the demographic of chess.com and, and try to make a decision about whether it's worthwhile. But we are not data mining our users at all. I, I personally believe it's wrong, but whatever, whatever, Facebook, you keep doing it. Right. I don't think anybody even knows how to control or stop these guys anyway. I mean, the web is this like, it's this machine that's sort of out of control and it's just evolving, and uh, you know I've learned it just by being involved in it. And so we have to learn how to reach users and convince them that we're offering something really cool and unique, and that chess is great. And I think it is. Um, but I think the future is the future will be interesting. We're all pioneers. I don't even know that we do the best. I think we do a pretty good job, and I and I'm lucky to kind of be involved as like the leader of that area of things for us. But I don't. I, don't, I mean, things change. Every time Facebook changes their algorithm and decides, okay, your company no longer reaches people's pages because of this, and we're saying that's because we want to improve the quality of their feed, and we want to deliver content to our users that actually is appropriate to them. But guess what? If you pay a lot more, we'll deliver it to more people. I mean, if they change their algorithm, we're all slaves to how to actually reach people to convince them that we're offering something really cool. This is like my totally candid, I am not holding it, this is the truth of what it is. And the web is a scary entity because it's evolving very fast. And we're all, you know, we try to stay on the cutting edge so that we can do the best we can to grow chess. Um, but it's it's an interesting thing. I, I don't know what the future holds in regards to that. Who knows? I mean, maybe, you know, maybe the future is that, you know, we all, you know, the chess.com doesn't make it. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to believe at this point, but I think it's always good to stay humble and, you know, have humility and not to pretend that that you're above being outgrown by somebody else. Because I think it's the truth, and I think that the web is is an interesting and evolving enough entity that we all don't really understand where it's going. Um, so hopefully we can just have fun in the process. Okay. Um, just just a few more questions, Danny. Obviously, I could keep you forever, but I know that you're a busy guy. Uh, so speaking of Chess.com's growth, uh, so how much of um, your like business plan is is built on uh, converting people to buying memberships? Like... Um, how do you balance that with just overall vision of just things that would be nice to provide? Well, I think it's it's always it's always both. I mean, you want you want to have people um, loving your product enough that they're happy to get access to the cool tools that you built that are unique um, and that are different. Maybe other sites do similar things, but you try to do everything you can to do stuff that's better and cooler. So converting members to want to wanna get premium access to, to, to really interesting videos and features and puzzles, and that's always number one because it's where our head goes on, on product development and how you decide to make a chess tool really cool. Um, but I think that at a certain point, the nice thing about these, where that evolves uh, is even if it's sort of the ultimate goal is to have people using your site, clearly, um, the ultimate goal, I think, at a certain point is becoming more and more for us to just grow the chess culture. I mean, I don't mean to sound uh, airy-fairy or right. pretend that, you know, some sort of pious approach. I mean, we're clearly a business and a profitable company. But the, I, I like to think that we're more authentic than any of our other competitors or anybody in this market when we say we are truly invested in the global growth of the game. 
and we just want, but and it, because chess is good for people, and because guess what? Every time Magnus Carlsen plays a world championship match, we get 8,000 new members a day from Norway. So even from a business level, we are more genuine when we say, like, let's grow chess. And we're willing, I think, to invest in not just the Pro Chess League and Speed Chess, but also other things that we do with Chess Kid and grow the chess culture because, because – we experience the direct benefit of it. I mean, so it's not, it's not, that's why you can believe me and that it's not disingenuous. It, it's totally authentic when I say we're out for the good, right. the good of chess, the global growth of the game and, and doing things like that because we, we do benefit. And I'm personally believe in all the benefits of chess. So we're doing it, you know, we're like, we're super lucky because we get to do something that we actually believe in. And most people are clocking in, clocking out nine to five. You know how we know? Because they're playing on our site when they should be working in their pupil. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, I mean, I mean, we're really lucky to have that kind of vision that is really something we can believe in and, yes, should have direct bottom line benefits for us. So where does that go? You know, do we eventually invest more and more chess to just grow in the movies or the culture? I don't know. I mean, I think that the future is exciting because I think as more people play chess, the more the good it is for people because chess is good for people and 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 then the better it is because we are you know we are the biggest ship on the sea we are the biggest ship in the domain web and and that's and so we're fortunate and that allows us to be authentic in our in our investment for the game to grow right and or do you is there a scenario where you limit access to chess as an esport to members only or are you is that no uh, i mean i, I don't see See, I don't think I don't think there's a good reason to do that because I think that part of the reason why like you have to just give you have to give people real value and 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 for have for them to respect you and want to do it. And I think we give a ton of value for free. And then if they get the chess bug, there are opportunities for them to then pay a membership and get access to cool things that can help them get better. I think we would rather just, you know, we I mean, again, I, I, this is a I'm not trying to call anybody out, but I, I you know, this is where we don't agree with Aegon's approach just on a philosophical business level. We don't believe that making enemies with those in with, with the most interest to help you grow the game, basically all of us businesses. I think I believe that the official dumps of chess, the FIDES and the USC, US chess, those organizations need to do the best they can to, to position themselves to profit off of all of our growth. Let chess.com and ICC and chess24, let all of us battle it out and position yourself to profit off of the global growth of the game by whether that's, you know, revenue or, or shared opportunities in big events or affiliates. Because the moment you turn the profitable businesses into your enemies, one, you're going to lose because it's all we do and we don't have to answer to like boards and, and other things. It's just... And two, I think it's a bad idea because it's, it made a lot of people upset and you can't limit people's experience to something they've been getting for free uh, forever. So we do not have any plans on on limiting people's experience to the best players and, and the best access to the best players. Um, we, we just, you know, whether that's we believe we have the best access with our cool events and we don't have any 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 goals of doing that. Chess TV and Twitch and that stuff will remain free and. Let's get more people playing chess to catch the chess bug, and then we hope that we hope that if we do our job on a product side, okay, like then they they will they will love our company in the long run. But it's I think it's worth the investment. Okay, good to hear. All right, Danny, I think this is my last question. You know, I, as you used to be, I'm a chess teacher, and in addition to the chess fans that listen to this podcast, I think we have a decent number of chess teachers. So. Uh, what what advice do you give to people looking to like with their boots on the ground looking to get chess more popular in their local communities and get into more schools and stuff like that? Um, am I allowed to say use chess kid? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, 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 uh, 
Uh, no, that's the no. Um, have to get in the door before advice. we can well, sell the Manchester. I have some general philosophical advice, and I, and this comes from a lot of experience doing both. What you know, I, I've been there. I've been on the ground. I've done it. Um, and and now I have this sort of you know this perspective. I have you know kind of removed from it and having you know a different a different perch now that I get to kind of look at the whole landscape. I would say one, I think the infighting has to stop. And I think that chess coaches have to understand that um, their competition is not another chess program, but actually it's mad science and it's uh, soccer piano and it's math clubs. And not that any of those things are bad, but chess has not been accepted into like the general culture in the way that some of those other things have. Amen. And I think that I think that um, the pool is not big enough to worry about it. So as we've grown Chess Kid, for example, I've had conversations with coaches and been like, well, aren't you just essentially trying to replace us with Chess Kid? And the answer is no. I mean, honestly, the long-term sustainability and growth of chess is based on it's based on relationships with coaches to teach. But why, it's like, why don't we have chess in every major university? God knows the, uh, the NCAA has the freaking money. Right. You know, it's because you haven't infiltrated the culture where it's seen as necessary. And, and I think that when you get a bunch of coaches like teaching in the, in the universities, well, then they're getting salaries. Well, now, now the value of a coach position just went way up, whether it's a 2100 or a grandmaster. And I think that I think that too much time is spent, you know, looking how to squeeze the liquid out of the stone rather than how they can offer chess in a way that grows something um, that makes it irreplaceable. And so, I, you know, I think we have to continue to fight. So, yes, in a lot of ways, Chess Kit is fighting to get chess in the classroom and convince teachers who know nothing about chess that they can teach and play the game. And, and so, yes, in that way, that does sound like a competitor for chess coaches. We're trying to convince people who know nothing about chess that they can teach it. But that's because the, the growth, I mean, chess, there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of schools and chess is not in nearly enough of them. Um, and, and, and so guess what happens when a whole bunch of teachers start using chess kit? Well, at a certain point, uh, now, now the school district across there, well, why do they have better chess schools than us? Holy crap. That's because they use chess kit and they have a coach. Well, we got to get ourselves a chess master. I think that the only way the value of the chess professional goes up is to stop thinking like a starving artist and actually try to grow the game on a cultural level. And it, maybe that's easier for me to say, I am lucky that we get to invest in that. Um, you know, we, we continue to do that. We do offer really big opportunities for, for school districts who don't have a chess culture in their history to start doing chess. And uh, that is a big part of our goal. But, um, but I think it's the best way for chess to have a long-term future is that it should be taught in the classrooms by chess coaches, um, you know, in, in, in communities where it's a staple part of things. Um, so that's my that's my overall opinion advice. So what what did the X's and O's advice to that? I don't. I mean, the X's and O's advice are just keep keep kicking ass, I guess. But but I think when there come to be decisions about about um, you know, I think there are decisions sometimes about how to just get more chess in the schools. People should be willing to open up their their thoughts about you know. Uh, getting more teachers involved in the schools who maybe don't know a lot about chess and not having sort of a nose in the air about, well, you have to have an actual chess coach to do this. Like, let's get chess in every school and being taught and let them using software, whether it's chess kit or something else, so that there's chess being done and then and then see where it goes from there. Yeah, the the broader the base of the pyramid, the more there is going up. Right. Um, well, Danny, thank you so much. That was awesome, and that was inspiring. That little that little pep talk at the end, and um, I I happen to agree with you uh, regarding basically uh, a rising tide lifts all boats. Uh, 
with regard to chess teachers and um you know the more people playing everything else will take care of itself right cool well thanks to danny is there anything else you want to say before i let you get out of here and get back to your thousand other Um, responsibilities the only other thing i'll do is i'll actually say that i think i'm going to do more podcasts this is this was this was fun and i think um We've been. I've been talking to John Urschel. Um, some people know him as the. I mean, he's a lineman for the Baltimore Ravens and super interesting dude. Uh, John Urschel. Uh, you know, big. You know, he's got a PhD. He's on his way to getting a PhD from MIT in math, and he's a professional NFL player. And some other friends of mine. I think. I think we're going to do more podcasts. So I'll give a, a plug of the fact that um, for those interested in that, maybe I'll, I'll let Ben know, or maybe the, maybe when we actually get it going, we'll come back on the show or something, and we can kind of combine our podcast. Maybe I'll have you on my podcast. Sounds good to me. And tell John Urschel he's uh to come on Perpetual Chess. Um, <laughs> oh, I will actually. I think I think he'd love to come on the show. In fact, I'll intro you to John. I mean, if you want, I'll intro you to John right after this. Awesome, be, that'd be really cool. I think he'd love that. That'd be good. I'm gonna have to watch some Raven game tape, but uh, but yeah, uh, I I always <laughs> joke with him like I don't have any idea what position he plays, and I don't <laughs> <Right>. care. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but cool. uh, it's. You know, we, we, we're actually, um, I don't know if this is going to happen yet, but we're actually in the process of setting up a match between him and another uh, high-level professional athlete. Um, uh, so I, I don't want to, we'll, we'll see We'll see what happens here. But uh, we're working with the Players' Tribune, which is this kind of famous sports site. I don't know if, I mean, we're like yeah, a lot yeah. of the players, right? Cheater so, site, yeah. Yeah, so we'll see. Um, I have we'll two guesses who that athlete might be. Am I allowed to guess? Sure. Okay, uh, Manny Pacquiao? Not Manny uh, or uh, Levy and Bell, though. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, no, we're so we're we're trying to do that one. We'll see. Um, there are some others that that are not as high profile as Le'Veon, um, but uh, but would probably do it too. So we'll see. Awesome. Fun. All right. Well, thanks so much, Danny. This was a lot of fun, and I think people will find it uh, really fascinating. And uh, keep up the good work. I think people know how to track you down. Whether whether you'll get a chance to read their emails, another question. But uh, but I think they can find you. Find me on on chess.com or or whatever on Twitter or something. I don't know. But Ben, this is this is a lot of fun. Thank you. This is this was great. Thanks for listening to Perpetual Chess. To hear more episodes, give feedback, or suggest guests, go to perpetualchesspod.com. If you like the show, please help me out by telling your friends and giving me a high rating on iTunes. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Podcast Network.